Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, God's Rescue Plan, with a message titled, From Bad to Worse. So let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 8, verses 12 to chapter 9, verses 7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. We've all heard somebody say, things are going from bad to worse. Or we might also say, I didn't think it could get any worse, and then it did. Well, now we're studying the book of Exodus, and we're about to see things go from bad to worse. Of course, not for Israel and not for Moses, but for Pharaoh and for Egypt, the greatest power of that day. And you'll remember when Pharaoh first interacted with Moses, he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? And then Pharaoh is not yet ready to obey his voice, but he no longer asks, Who is the Lord? That bit of condescending talk is gone now. Pharaoh's about to discover who is the Lord in a way that he didn't wish he knew. Today, we're going to track the progression of the plagues. There will be 10 of them. Each one increases in intensity and the pressure on Pharaoh. We've already studied the first two plagues, and that is the plague of the Nile turning to blood and the plague of the frogs covering the land. And today, we're going to look at plagues numbers three, four, and five. That is the plague of gnats, the plague of flies, and finally the plague of the death on the Egyptian livestock. As we're going to see, the intensity of each plague makes things in Egypt go from bad to worse. Well, let's start with the third plague. And here I'm reading Exodus 8, 16 to 19. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. You know, in some ways, the third plague seems quite similar to the second plague. You know, in that second plague, frogs covered the land and the plague was so severe that Pharaoh had almost cracked. But once the frogs were gone, even though it was evident that God had taken the frogs away, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Now, there are similarities from this plague to the last one. The Egyptian goddess Heket is the goddess of birth and fertility, and she was depicted as having the head of a frog. In the second plague, the frogs became loathsome and disgusting and seen from a religious perspective. The frogs were not an object of worship anymore. They were an object of revulsion. And then God took the frogs away. Now, in this third plague, the gnats were reminded of the Egyptian god Geb, the god who was over the dust of the earth. He's the god of a fertile earth. But here the fertile earth produces a plague of gnats. So what are these gnats? They are, as best I understand the Hebrew word, a reference to biting insects. The word seems to speak of everything from mosquitoes to any kind of insect that bites, sucks blood, and is the source of the spread of disease. And like the previous plague of frogs, the gnats are in superabundance. And what makes this plague different is that on this occasion, Moses and Aaron, for the first time, did not go to meet with Pharaoh and warn him about what was coming. And we have to assume they stood in a public place and Aaron struck the dust with his staff and the thing happened very rapidly as to give the impression of a miracle. But there's another difference between this plague and not only the plague of frogs, but also the first two plagues, which included the plague on the Nile. 
You see, on this occasion, as the magicians tried to replicate what was done here, they're unable to do so. They're, they're unable to perform the same miracle and produce gnats. Indeed, they aren't able to do anything like this. And the response then is, this is the finger of God. So what are they saying? Well, first of all, that phrase, the finger of God, well, that's a phrase that gets used later in Exodus. When Moses receives the two tablets that contain the Ten Commandments, we are told it's written in the finger of God. And now in the book of Luke, Luke 11, verse 20, Jesus says, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom has come upon you. So what's the finger of God? Well, some have suggested that it means that it's an easy thing for God to do. He can do it with just one finger. Well, perhaps. But that doesn't seem to be the meaning here. I think it means that the magicians are now awakening to the reality that God has inserted his finger into Egypt. They hadn't known it before. They do now. This isn't magic. It's God. Now, notice also they don't say that these are the fingers of the gods. You know, a number of studies have been done that even in polytheistic religions, there's a belief in one supreme deity who stands above all those gods and goddesses that are being worshipped. And often that deity is shrouded in mystery. But there's the idea that this deity is the great creator of all that exists and that his power is over all the gods and goddesses that are regularly being worshipped. And that seems to be what the magicians are telling Pharaoh now. The mysterious supreme creator has inserted his finger into Egypt. You should know that. Moses isn't doing magical incantations. God has arrived. Now, Pharaoh's heart, however, is hardened, which means in this case, he doesn't stop and consider the implications of all of this. As people were in absolute misery, you know, overwhelming swarm of biting insects, Pharaoh commits not to think of the implications of this, nor even about relieving the suffering. I mean, they're going to live through this, and that's that. And what's interesting here is that we're not told if or when the gnats went away. Well, we have to assume they did, but we aren't given any details. I mean, how long did this misery last? We don't know. However, this plague did end, and we're back now to God telling Moses again to present himself before Pharaoh. Things are going to go from bad to worse. I'm reading Exodus 8, 20 to 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. You know, a great many commentators have pointed out that the 10 plagues, or at least the first nine of them, well, they seem to progress in a series of three threes. And since we now come to the fourth plague, we have the beginning of the second set of plagues. And just like the first set of three plagues, this one begins by Moses coming to Pharaoh early in the morning as he's going down to the water. And this plague also begins as Moses comes as before to present his demand. 
thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. That is, they're not your servants, rather they're mine. But let's get to the matter of the flies. So how is this different from the plague of the gnats? Well, the phrase swarms of flies is actually only one word in the Hebrew. And the idea behind this word is that it goes far beyond a lot of flies. I mean, flies would have been a constant irritation, but this is different. The flies were probably more than just flies. They would have been various kinds of insects, both those that bite and those that don't. So, you know, both biting black flies along with every other kind as well. So much so that you wouldn't have been able to put your foot down anywhere without stepping on them. They would have been overwhelming in numbers in every single area. Now, at this time, we hear something new, something that has not been heard before. And please note, this is a significant statement. God will set apart the land of Goshen where his people reside. And ultimately, that distinction between the people of God and the Egyptians is found in the final plague in which, you know, the people of God will be marked by the blood of the covenant. Well, here we simply read that God will ensure that this plague will not fall on Israel. Goshen is free from the plague. And so we see again that although there are parts of this plague that are a part of nature, and yet in both severity as well as the way in which God orders each individual fly, God shows that he orders nature. None will be on his people. Even the flies have heard from their creator, and they act according to his command. Think about that. And we might also think of Jesus ordering the winds and the waters of the Sea of Galilee to obey his voice or ordering that loaves of bread are multiplied in his hand. You see, he is the Lord of nature. He is the one that directs nature at each point in time. And we're reminded here of Psalm 29, 8 to 9. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. God directs nature. That invites us to worship. It's that time of year again for the release of our annual Back to the Bible Canada 2023 scripture calendar. This year's theme is Freedom in Christ, to commemorate the gift of liberty that God has graced us with through Jesus. Each month, you'll find stunning visuals, a Bible verse reflecting on freedom, and encouragement from Dr. John Newfeld to live freely. It also contains a guide to help you read through the Bible in its entirety in one year. It's our hope that this resource will serve as a tool to help you engage with God's Word daily, as well as to encourage you to live in the freedom that Christ has purchased for us. The Freedom in Christ calendar is available free for the month of October. But hurry, supplies are limited, so to request your copy today, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Even though his heart is hard, Pharaoh can't escape the implications of the fourth plague. I mean, each gnat, each fly was created by God. Even the swarm of flying insects, each one responds to the Creator's command. And furthermore, the Creator has commanded them to obey His voice. The Creator is calling in insects. 
into his army. They're an irresistible force. And so in his panic, Pharaoh tries to negotiate himself out of the crisis. Exodus 8:25. then Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. So let's use our imagination for just a moment. I mean, we don't know how many days have gone by before we get to verse 25. See, by now, Pharaoh's officials are miserable and they're complaining. I mean, the people in general have reached their tolerance level. They're ready to mutiny. Perhaps Pharaoh's own family is beginning to add to the pressure and to make nothing of the misery of Pharaoh himself that he is experiencing. Life is now intolerable. People are saying things even to Pharaoh that he's never heard before. And he knows he must act, and he knows he must offer some form of concession. Negotiations are called for because he can't lose control. And so the only thing he knows is to offer them time off. They have requested that, but they won't be able to leave. Perhaps he reasons to himself, this will be what they want. And Pharaoh's not foolish. He knows that this might become an annual thing, but even in that, he knows some form of compromise has to be found. The heady days of demanding that the brickmakers make bricks and supply their own straw, see, that's now forgotten. If Moses made demands, Pharaoh now knows that he has to take the demand seriously. Pharaoh's aware that his position has weakened. It's gone from bad to worse. But what Pharaoh hasn't anticipated is that Moses' position has not weakened. It has strengthened. So, Exodus 8, 26 and 27. But Moses said it would not be right to do so. For the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he wills. See, Moses is making two statements. First, Israelite animal sacrifices are abominable to the Egyptians. And we might ask, well, how so? You know, since the animals they would sacrifice in some cases would have been thought of as divine by the Egyptians. Remember, the Egyptians associated nature with the gods, and so some of those animal sacrifices would have so enraged the Egyptians they might have responded in violence. Now, this proposal would simply not do. But it's the second statement that's the significant one. God was not calling for a minor religious holiday or to put it into our terms, you know, to get Christmas recognized as a holiday, you know, to get time off to celebrate. Rather, this was a formal national calling to go to a different location and identify as the unique people of God and to do what God had called them to do. Let me add here as well that the three-day journey is not meant literally as Westerners would have understood it. Three day, that's an idiom. It means we're going a long way off and we will worship a great distance from Egypt. Well, in short, Pharaoh wants to negotiate. Moses does not. And yet Pharaoh isn't done. I mean, should he capitulate entirely? He loses his credibility. And so he makes a second attempt in verses 28 and 29. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. See, it's hard to know how to read this. I mean, did Moses agree with Pharaoh that they wouldn't go far away? And if I've translated the three-day demand properly, that it was an idiom for an undetermined period of time, 
as far as they wanted to go away, does Moses now agree? Okay, okay, we won't go that far after all. Now, please notice, Moses doesn't say whether they'll go near or far. They're going. He simply says, I am going out from you. In short, he won't say how far, but we notice also that Pharaoh wants Moses to pray for him or to plead to God for him. And again, it's hard to know how to read that. Is Pharaoh thinking that by granting this concession, he's now a compromised leader of Egypt? I mean, is he afraid he's going to be assassinated? Well, perhaps. Or I suppose another way of reading it is that Pharaoh is suffering physically, first from the gnats and then from the flies, and maybe he's asking for healing. But this is the first time that we see that he's genuinely under pressure. And so Moses tells him that tomorrow the flies will be gone, but he leaves Pharaoh with a warning. Don't you dare try to pull off that little trick you did before when I prayed and the frogs left. Verses 30 to 32. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. You know, we've noticed as we read through this text that sometimes we're told God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And here we're told Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What leads to this? How can he promise one day and then so quickly renege the next day. I mean, whatever the reason, we now know that Pharaoh is a liar, and that's become plain. Whatever he says can't be trusted. Negotiations and promises are not to be taken seriously. This will now be a war to the finish. And now it's with this understanding that we move to the fifth plague. This now moves from plagues that cause suffering to plagues that involve death. Pharaoh from now on can't call Moses back in and ask for the plague simply to be removed. From now on, the damage is going to be done. It'll be permanent. In other words, he can't simply make new promises and get things back to the way they were. Exodus 9, 1-4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me, but if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. Now, this is the third time that Moses goes into the royal residence. Again, as before, he begins with a demand, let my people go. And then comes the warning, if you refuse you'll fall under a very severe plague. Moses is indicating that they've never yet seen anything as severe as what's about to happen now. This is the first plague of death, and it won't be the last. From now on, things are going to die. And it was the livestock that were going to die, and specifically mentioned are horses, donkeys, camels, herds and flocks. Of course, that's sheep and goats. And I assume that this list is specific and it's exhaustive, meaning at this point, It's not the cattle, cows, bulls, oxen. And that will explain why later on the Egyptians still have cattle. But please don't underestimate how severe this plague would be. These animals would have been of enormous value. To lose these animals would be a serious blow. It would be crushing financial loss, including also the loss of animals that are required to haul wagons, plows, and the like. Tell a farmer today that tomorrow you're going to lose a great deal of your animals as well as your tractors and all the machinery that you need to keep the farm going, and he's going to shake his head. That's a loss. 
But here again, we see God makes a distinction between the livestock of the Egyptians and that of the Hebrews. God is displaying, I know my people. Exodus 9, 5-7. And the Lord said at times, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So I began by saying that things were going from bad to worse. And when we began our study today, Pharaoh had only seen two plagues, and those two plagues had rattled his confidence. You know, the Egyptian gods had been humbled, and so had he. That was bad. But now his magicians are discredited. And now it becomes apparent that Israel's God is the creator and that the religious structure of Egypt is a sham. And to make it worse, God is protecting Israel, and he's cursing Egypt. And now, for the first time, there's death in the land. Pharaoh is also shown as incapable of handling this threat, and he's proved to be a liar and an unreliable negotiator. You see, when men and women harden their hearts, God proves that he is stronger than they are. And when they find themselves fighting against God, things always go from bad to worse. Every one of us who reads this account needs to take this to heart. Let's never be in the position where we find ourselves an enemy of God. Let's bend the knee before him willingly, for if we refuse, we will still bend the knee, but it will be an unwilling bending that will cause our own suffering. John, thanks for your message. You know, I'm thinking this is a remarkable story filled with a significant amount of mystery. But what is the one thing that stands out to you about the character of God in this passage? Well, the thing that stands, I think, for me most is God's mercy to the people whom he has called. You know, Israel, um, you know, they had all of their own sins. But because of the mercy of God, they had become his people. And that God is determined in the end of the day to treat his own people in a way that demonstrates mercy even while judgment falls on the rest of the world. I am overwhelmed when I read this story of the kindness of God to everyone who calls Jesus Lord. We don't deserve mercy. Uh, We deserve the same wrath. But Christ has taken away our sins and we are God's. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, God's Rescue Plan, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. This Thanksgiving, we give thanks for every listener and all you do to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. Your prayers, gifts, and encouragement mean so much and are truly essential in making every Bible teaching broadcast and resource possible. We're also grateful for words of encouragement, words like those shared by Julie. Throughout the years, your daily radio program has been such a blessing in our home. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. The ministry of Back to the Bible Canada happens because we all join together with a common heart to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a part of the Back to the Bible Canada ministry family. For more information or to send a note to let us know how Back to the Bible Canada has impacted your journey, visit backtothebible.ca slash impact and click send your testimonial or 
call us at 1-800-663-2425.